Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and welcome to episode number 39. My guest this week is the beloved wrestling promoter and impresario, longtime promoter of Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling in particular, Herb Simmons, who we will get to. In just a moment, lots of great St. Louis and Midwest wrestling talk coming up. Before we get to that, a couple of things I want to update you on, which I have been recently speaking about, and I have some new information that I'd like to share. Uh, One being, uh, I have sort of a a bit of an exclusive here, which which was also posted to the Wrestling News as well a couple of days ago. But um, I have discovered from the producers of the Vince McMahon Vice TV documentary, The Nine Lives of Vince McMahon, uh, when it's going to air, roughly. Um, as some of you may know, it was supposed to air on October 18th. That did not happen. It got postponed. A lot of people were thinking that it was going to get killed or something. It wasn't going to happen. But it is going to be happening. It has been postponed, pushed back till the month of December. I think they were just kind of putting the finishing touches on it. It was sort of made in a rush to try to be topical with a lot of the news that had been happening with Vince McMahon, but uh, it wasn't quite ready as at the time that they wanted it to be ready. So I don't have a specific date in December, but it will be airing in December. I have also been assured that I am quote all over it, meaning (laughs) I'm going to appear uh, quite a bit in this documentary. I'm hoping I don't wind up with a horse's head in my bed or anything like that. Um, I think I was more of a historical consultant than anything else, but I will be on camera apparently providing a lot of comments as a uh, um, wonderfully attired talking head in the nine lives of Vince McMahon coming in December. I'll have a specific date for you soon. I'll be able to let you know. Um, The other thing that I wanted to update you on very vaguely, and I apologize for the vagueness, I've been talking about my next book. Uh, Of course, my last book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, still available. Um, I have a non-wrestling book coming out in 2023, but I have now negotiated uh, verbally for my next wrestling book. Um, which I'm going to start working on very soon. I have a feeling it's probably going to be coming out in 2024. Um, I I will not. Um, well, it's a verbal agreement at the moment. There's no contract yet, so I'm not going to really get into details yet. But uh, I'm very excited about the project. It is happening. There is another wrestling book in the works. And very soon, within the next uh, week or two, probably, I'll be able to share with you exactly the nature of the project. So stay tuned, true believers. And right now, we're going to get to this week's conversation. 
I'll get right to it. Not a lot of description here because I'll be describing him during the conversation. But Herb Simmons uh, has been a promoter in this business for uh, more than half a century. He's got incredible stories. Uh, This is a man who promoted at a time when he was working in the shadows of people like Sam Muchnick and Dick the Bruiser uh, and the AWA. The man has been around. The man has seen and done it all. And he was willing to share some of those stories with me this week. And I am now going to share that conversation with you. Okay, so this week on Shut Up and Wrestle, I have a very interesting guest and somebody that, uh, you know, I've been talking about how I uh, just went to Cauliflower Alley Club for, for the second time. And this is one of those people that without CAC, I would not have had the pleasure and the privilege to meet and get to know. Uh, so this is going to be really great. He is one of the longest running independent promoters. I want to say not just in wrestling today, but maybe of all time in wrestling. He he is uh, based in the St. Louis area, which, as we all know, has a rich and storied tradition in wrestling history, which we'll talk about uh, since, I believe, 1975 or something like that. Close to 50 years. He has been uh, running Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling, SICW, and I'm talking about none other than Herb Simmons. Well, thank you for that uh, introduction. Uh, it's uh, actually been 1973, soon to be 50 years uh, in February of next year. And uh, I, I keep forgetting. Uh, I'd like to forget though <laughs> how long it's been, but but those memories will always be there. And, and uh, I've had some great, uh, great times with and great memories. So, uh, but I really appreciate you uh, mentioning the Cauliflower Alley because that's the organization that's dear uh, to my heart. And uh, as you have seen from the last couple of years, uh, there's a lot of fans that show up, uh, a lot of our legends that are still with us. And yeah, it's just a great place to network. And uh, I'm, I'm just uh, honored to be a part of it. And I think, you know, uh, this year it felt because last year was my first time going. And last year, everybody kept telling me how, you know, it's much smaller than usual because of COVID and it's, and it's, uh, and I had nothing to compare it to. And I just kept thinking, wow, this seems like a lot of people to me. But when I went back this year, I saw what people mean, where it was definitely much bigger, more elaborate. And still, from what I understand from the long, long running people going, it's still smaller than, than what they remember in terms of the amount of people that it used to be even bigger than that. Oh yeah, COVID uh, has done w- with everything else in our, our life uh, had had turned the uh, the attendance down. But yeah, back uh, you know before COVID, you know it was nothing to have that uh, uh, room packed at the Gold Coast. Um, I mean, seven eight hundred people, uh, and I mean when I talk about uh, great people, great you know the wrestling fans are the greatest in the world. Of course, I'm kind of uh, prejudiced of that, but you know, you, you never get anybody with a crossword. Everybody is just happy. They're all thankful to be there. Everybody wanting to talk the business, especially the old school. Uh, and then, you know, you get to rub elbows with the, some of the people that you uh, grew up watching. I think that's one of the things that's really great about it. You know, for me, I get to connect with people that either I, worked with and i haven't seen in a really long time like i ran into a guy who was a wwe producer 
20 years ago when I worked there and I, I, you know, hadn't seen him in forever, or I get to touch base with people that I know mainly from online and, you know, that I'm, that I respect, but I've never really had a chance to meet in person. And then there's people that I never, you know, met before like yourself that, that I get to interact with. I know we last year, we first met, if you remember when they had the promoters panel, uh, I believe it was, which was one of the seminars that they did, which was just so interesting to me that afterwards, of course, I approached you and I was bending your ear on the casino floor about St. Louis. I remember. Yeah, St. Louis wrestling history. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, that was a, uh, we, we get a lot of good uh, feedback from that uh, promoter's um, uh, seminar and they had it pretty well structured, you know, from from the youngest uh, to the oldest and uh and I think it was a wide variety of uh, of uh, people there that could share their experiences and what the do's and the don'ts are of the business. Of course, we've all got our own opinions and uh, what works and what doesn't work. Uh, uh, in my case, uh, the years that I've been doing it, uh, yeah, I, I had the honor of sitting under that learning tree of uh, Sam Muchnick and uh, his protege, Larry Matasek. And um but, you know, nothing, take nothing away from the other promoters that was on that panel. They've all had their experiences. And the, the good thing about it, uh, what makes a, a good promoter is, I think, if you learn from those mistakes and uh, the ones that was on there with me, you could definitely tell from their stories that, yeah, uh, we've been in it. We made some mistakes and we tried to adjust. And, uh, and that's all you can do in the business, you know. Absolutely. And I, I think Joel Goodhart was on that panel. I'm trying to think of who else was up there. Carmine, um, Carmine, right? He was he was running it. <laughs> well, he he was trying to steal the show, which he right. always does. But I love the guy. I mean, him and I communicate uh, back and forth. And uh, uh, but there's a guy that's got a wealth of knowledge and a, a wealth of experience. Um, yeah, it's just uh, it's great that we can share a stage with people like that that share that same passion that we all do. You know, I think the one question that that I get asked more times than anything is, "Well, how did you become a, a, a wrestling uh, a promoter?" Well, uh, I was a fan, just like all of you were, you know, and uh, just uh, I was fortunate to to be in the right place at the right time. And I want to say, for those that don't know, the Carmine we're talking about is Carmine Despirito, who I'm going to have to eventually pester until he becomes a guest on the show as well, because he's terrific. But I wanted you to uh, and forgive me, because I know you've told the story. You even told it on the panel, but it's never been told here. I love your story about when Larry brought you to meet Sam Muchnick and what that it almost feels like a scene out of a movie or something. Could you could you tell that story? Yeah, it um, and it's a story that is uh, it sh- shocked me back then, and it still shocks me when I tell it now because the uh, the the fact that here I am, a young man that uh, was really uh, in love with the professional wrestling back in the day. Uh, my mom was a, a huge wrestling fan, and that was kind of the bond between her and I, uh, being able to sit up with her and watch it late night uh, when it was on on a Wednesday night that a lot of people didn't even remember back in the St. Louis area. But uh, when I got to meet uh, Larry and I had shared different uh, 
common uh, things in life, law enforcement, uh, political views. Uh, uh, I've been the mayor of my hometown for a long time, and he was a uh, uh, auxiliary police officer in his hometown. So our paths had crossed, but then the wrestling is the glue that held us together. And, uh, you know, he used to take me to the office with him when he would go, because he started with Sam when he was 16 years old, uh, writing articles, sweeping uh, the office up, uh, doing filing for him. And, um, and of course I, I'd go in there. I was a kid at a candy shop, you know, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in the office of the God basically, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so one day Larry calls me up and says, Hey, we're going to go to dinner tonight. And, uh, I said, oh, okay. And, uh, so we, we head out to the little racetrack, uh, in Collinsville, Illinois. And I knew that's where Sam used to like to go. They had a steakhouse there and he liked to partake in the steaks and then partake on the ponies a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> uh, we walk in there and Sam was sitting there. And so, you know, we, he introduces me to Sam and we order and they bring the food. We're just doing a little chit chat at first. And, and as he's eating, he's cutting that steak up and, uh, you know, he says, Hey, Herb, he says, Larry tells me you want to, you want to, uh, be in the business, know more about the business. And at that time I was promoting, uh, independent shows. And I said, well, let's get this straight. I don't want to be the guy in there taking the bumps. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> I said, I just, I'd like to learn more of the promotional, the booking and, uh, that type of, uh, the behind the scenes. And, uh, and he was sitting there and he's cutting that steak up. And I'd always heard these horror stories about what could go on in the business and what had went on back in the day. Um, because you know, men and women made, that was their life. And, uh, uh I heard some of the horror stories and, uh, he took that knife and, uh, that steak knife and I'm sitting to his right and he, uh, he took it and he, and I'm thought, wait a minute, is he going to stab me with this? Cause, cause I'd always heard, you know, you don't go into other people's territories and run shows and all this and that. And he took it and he stuck it up to his, he said, I'll tell you what, if you do these two things, he says, you'll go a long way. And he pointed the steak knife to the lobe of his ear. And he said, if you keep these open and he pointed to his mouth and says, and if you keep this closed, you'll go a long way in this business. And I thought, holy cow. And to this day, I've, I've tried to do that. And, you know, the other thing he told me and him and Larry and, and, and my late great friend, Bruiser Brody said, if you always treat the boys right, they'll treat you right. And, um, I, I think for almost 50 years now, I've tried to live up to that, uh, lessons that they taught me, uh, because, um, I, I, I'm not bragging, but I think I can pick up the phone and call just about anybody in the business and, and get the respect of them returning the call or at least answering my calls, you know? And, and I have to say too, that you, you do the same thing. I mean, you are, and, and I think if anything, that's, that's a secret that has got to be a secret to success that I wish more people would adhere to, especially in wrestling, which is, you know, the times that I've reached out to you, if I've needed something, I remember I, I needed a, I wanted a quote from you for a sp story I was doing for pro wrestling illustrated. I mean, you got back to me immediately and, and I've run into other people like that in the wrestling business. And they tend to be the ones that have the best connections, the best success, the longest careers. So there really is something to be said for that connectedness and never acting like you are too busy or too too big of a deal to get back to people you know well and i i always get joked about uh uh from people because when i at my shows uh you know i i've always got a shirt and a tie on and uh play you know you, you 
first impressions a lot of times is the last and uh, uh, people remember you and uh, Sam, another thing, Sam always, and, and I've got pictures of Sam. Uh, if you, if you saw him without a tie on, he still had a suit jacket on, or he, if he had just a shirt on, he had a tie on. Uh, I'm not trying to be like Sam much, Nick, but I'm trying to keep those true down to earth values that, that made him so successful. I mean, cause at one time, uh, you know, in the business, when you mentioned Sam Muchnick's name, uh, they knew who you were talking about. And I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to, I made, uh, uh, Larry Matasek, um, uh, a promise that as long as I had a breath of me, that I would keep those old memories and the legacy alive of what they built in St. Louis. And then Barbara Goodish, my good friend, the widow of the late, great, uh, Bruiser Brody, uh, my pledge to her was as long as I had breath left in me that uh, uh, Bruiser Brody would be remembered. And that's why we do an annual show once a year in May. And she comes in and we try to bring in some of the guys that Frank had introduced me to that's still with us and kind of honor him. And we have a big Bruiser Brody Battle Royal and a big trophy cup that she awards to the winner. And, uh, and you know, in this business, your word is your bond. And uh, if you want to get a bad rap, uh, just uh, go out there and treat somebody wrong or, or, or don't pay them. Uh, you know, the old days of the hot dogs and the handshakes, even though that's still some of that goes on. I've been told that's never happened. Didn't happen with Sam Muchnick and it didn't happen with Larry Matasek. And it's surely not going to happen with me or, you know, promoters like Paul Bosch and people like that that had that reputation. You know, I was so honored to finally get to meet Jerry Jarrett in person out at CAC. Uh, uh, I'd been in the office at Sam's place a couple of times when he was on the phone with Jerry and they were talking business and Sam always told Larry and I, what you hear in this office stays in this office. And he opened up all the files. He said, you can read anything you want. Nothing leaves the office, but what, what is discussed here is stays here. And, uh, and of course now I have, uh, probably 99% of those records that, uh, that Larry left me along with all the, uh, rustling results. Um, they used to take on the little three by five index card that grandma used to have her homemade recipes on. And they would actually with a typewriter type on her, John Paul Henning beat uh, Johnny Valentine with a bone arrow in six minutes and 53 seconds. And they would have all those, you know, I can tell you how many times Dick the Bruiser wrestled who his opponents were, whether it was the TV shows they did or the house shows. I have all those records. I have all the programs that were dating back to 1934 is the oldest that I have in the programs. That's really incredible because <clears throat> really for, especially for an older generation of people, when you, when you talk about wrestling promoter, it's almost like the name Sam Muchnick is like almost synonymous with, with wrestling promoter. If you're th the first person that would come to your mind, would be him. And of course, like you're talking about his advice to you for, for a lot of people that study the history. And I'm sure, you know, quite well that Sam himself had a fight like hell to get his territory. He came in and he, and at that time it was Tom Pax, who was Tom the man Pax. in St. Louis. And it was not a, shall we say, friendly, peaceful transition of power, right? It was a war. Oh yeah. Well, and it even turned into a legal battle. I've got the, uh, the degree papers where, you know, there was an antitrust lawsuit filed and uh, 
a lot of people, you know, may not know, or if they've done some history research, uh, one of uh, Sam Muchnick's best friends was a gentleman back then, uh, Melvin, uh, Melvin Price, who was a congressman. And uh, I've got the paperwork where uh, Melvin uh, Mel's name is uh, involved in that. Uh, and um, yeah, there was a lot, there was a big fight back then. And, uh, and Sam, I think that's how he, ga- he gained the support of people by being fair. Um, and I remember him always saying that, you know, we're going to take that pie that's been made and we're going to share it and we're going to share it equally. And each, each area is going to get their share of it. And then whatever's left, we're going to share that uh, leftover equally. Also, it wasn't like there was a quarter of that pie left and he took it for himself. He would, he would cut that pie up equally. So he wanted to make sure everybody got a fair share. And, uh, and I think that's what we continue to try to do. And I, I, I know it's not done that way elsewhere, but I can only speak for what I'm trying to do and what I've been doing and uh, what I will continue to do for however long I'm, I'm left to do it, you know? And so, at, and at the time that you first encountered him, if I'm, I'm thinking like early seventies, right. Uh, or, yes. or thereabouts, I mean, he was still, you know, at the height of his powers that, that would have been kind of the later years of his, of his tenure, but he was, I believe still NWA president at that time, or maybe in a short break in between, but, but a very powerful person in the business still. Yeah. He, he, you know, he was the NWA president for uh, just over 41 years with a couple of times where he had stepped down and they had changed for different reasons. But um, you know, the, the ironic part of was even when he wasn't the president of the national wrestling Alliance, they still leaned on him. They still, uh, the current president would call him and get advice. And, and Sam was labeled the peacekeeper uh, mm-hmm. when you had, uh, uh, just because they were members of the NWA, uh, they still got selfish at times. And, uh, you know, the big thing with the NWA president, he controlled that championship uh, title. And, uh when there would be a dispute of a different promoter in a different area wanting to control it uh, with a certain individual and then uh, somebody else would want it and they'd get a fight you know it was nothing for sam to get those late night calls or early morning calls say promoter so-and-so uh, it wants to do it this way and and it's got to be done that way and sam would be that peacekeeper to say now look we're not going to fight over this uh Let's uh, let's get our heads together and let's do what's best for the business. And that's where I see today a lot of these uh, promoters don't look at it that way. They're looking at it, well, what's in it for me? Whereas if they would take that outlook of what Sam had and people like Larry Matasek, when he he carried it over, um, everybody benefits. You know, the workers benefit, uh, the fans benefit. Because, you know, I, I tell everybody it's like baking a cake. You've got to have a good product. You've got to have a, a good venue. And, of course, without the fans, uh, you don't have it. That, that cake's not going to turn out good. And uh, you put those ingredients all together, uh, you you can run a successful promotion. And it's, it seems like his attitude, which was so important and held the NWA together, was pretty rare because the selfishness you're talking about and the short-sightedness and infighting 
that seems to have been the norm for wrestling promoters before and after Sam and just all through the history of wrestling. And, and he was kind of an exception the way, the way I always read about it or heard about it was, it was almost like him running the NWA all those years. It was like a cross to bear where he, it was it was so exhausting and he didn't want to have to do it that long but he knew if he wasn't the one doing it the whole thing would fall apart so he felt this obli- whether that was true or not he felt this obligation like i have to stay here i have to do this otherwise the whole nwa is just going to fly apart well and i guess history uh, yeah dictates that i mean <laughs> look what happened and uh, i remember the conversation i was part of it when larry talked till he was blue in the face uh trying to get sam to hang in there uh sam's uh, a wife uh helen was in bad health had passed away uh sam was up in age himself and and you you kind of hit it right on the head his um, ability to continue the fight that he knew was going to have to be i still say to this day if sam would have been 20 25 years younger and the Vince McMahon uh, uh, drive came to town, wouldn't have been no fight. I don't care how much money Vince McMahon had. Uh, Sam had, he had credibility. Uh, he had the knowledge. Uh, he had the uh, ability to reach people all over the world uh, to be in his corner. And um, like I said, what Sam didn't have is the youth in him uh, and the drive to do that. Um, so, you know, you can't go back and redo that. Uh, we're, we're left with what, what we have. And, uh, all we have is those great memories that he left us and, and I'll give him credit all the time. And, and there, like I said, I mentioned people like Paul Bosch, uh, another great promoter that I got to meet one time, uh, when he came to St. Louis while I was in the office, uh, you know, and he's another one that when you're, um, older uh, wrestlers from back in the day that are still with us when they talk about the promoters that were honest and that you could count on them or what they told you uh, there's only uh, a few that you can count on in the hand and have a few fingers left over that that were fit that that credibility yeah they both had those great reputations for being trustworthy good to deal with very fair uh people again a rare commodity but the but those th- those fights those constant battles and the constant having to you know plug up the cracks in the dam and all that it really takes a toll after a while and you can understand what it what it did to him i even remember in a different way uh, you know uh, i got to interview vince mcmahon junior about his family and when he mentioned that one of the reasons that his own father wanted to get out of it at a relatively young age i mean uh, he was in his 60s was again he was just sick of the constant fighting with talent and other promoters and it was just wearing him down and aging him you know so that seems to be a common refrain among longtime promoters. I don't know if you felt the same way yourself, that it just takes a toll, the constant, constant having to put out fires and placate people's egos and things like that. Well, and it's 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 actually, believe it or not, it's, it's worse now <laughs> um, back then because you know, here where I'm located, I'm actually on the Illinois side of uh, outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, 
everybody wants to be in the promotion business. Everybody wants to be a promoter. You know, I think we're literally when, when the saying is people go to bed at night and wake up in the morning and say, Hey, I'm going to be in a promoter. They go, they go and buy a wrestling ring and they get some guys to come in and start working. That's what's going on. Uh, and I, I hate to say it. It's, it's, uh, but I do. Uh, and then sometimes that gets me in trouble, but they have no concept on the foundation that was built that was left for them. Um, it's it's kind of like, well, we're going to go out there and do it this way and that way. And so they're drawing 30, 40, 50 fans at a show. Uh, and then they want to know why down the road, 10 blocks, that promoter's drawing 30, 40, 50, and probably the same fans. They have no concept on what the business was about, what it is about. They think because the toothpaste is out of the uh, tube that who cares? Uh, yeah, and it, it's no secret. The toothpaste has been out of the tube for a long, long time. But if you come to an SICW event, uh, you're not going to know that. You're not. <laughs> I mean, uh, we just had a show last weekend uh, with lover boy uh, Dennis Condre, uh, Haku and the Barbarian, uh, Dan Severn. Uh, and, you know, the place was packed, uh, had a steel cage match that Haku and Barbarian wrestled uh, in. Wow. and you know, uh, last year in October at the same location, which is kind of ironic. It's one of the first places that I started running back in the late seventies, uh, our fairgrounds. And, uh, you know, we had 11 of the legends in the rock and roll express, uh, uh, you name it, uh, Sergeant Slaughter demolition. And, uh, the fans are still out there. They still love old school wrestling, but nowadays it, it's, it's harder because of all these promotions who don't care, at least back in the day, Sam, under his guidance, uh, he knew the promoters. Uh, he had a concept, and back in the day, territorials worked. I could work you here six months to a year as my big baby or a heel or a middle card guy, and then I could send you down to Fritz or to Paul or to wherever, up to the hearts, and you could start another six months or a year run. Well, nowadays, you know, it's just not there. Guys don't want to travel. They think a car ride is getting their buddy in a car and driving down the road 10 miles. They don't know what it's like to drive 150, 200 miles from town to town uh, four or five nights a week. Uh, so, yeah, the business has changed to that. And, of course, people say, well, Herb, you got to this is 2022. You need to get into the, the modern times. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, until the day they close the uh, lid on me, I'm old school. I'm going to do what Sam Muchnick um, that I picked up from him and from people like Larry, from Brody, from Murdoch, from Blackwell, uh, guys that come in and work for me anytime I needed them because they 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 knew what it took to do old school wrestling. I think what you're seeing a lot of these days, and again, you probably know way more than I do. You know, they always used to talk about how. Your old school promoters, they were a lot of them were were businessmen. They were promotions people, even outside the world of wrestling. You know, they just were that was the business they were in of promotions, you know, whether it was music or sports or uh, other events and things. And then you then you had the phenomenon of wrestler promoters, right? Which which I know some which became such a big thing in wrestling. And I know some of the businessmen promoters weren't always crazy about that, but but so many of them were very successful. But now what you see are fan promoters, which I think is feels like it's a new thing. I don't, you know, in recent times of pr promoters, local promoters 
who that's their only background is maybe they have some money and that's it. And, and they're, they're fans. They, they weren't really in the promotions business. They certainly weren't wrestlers and they just look at it like, Oh, I am a wrestling fan. So I'm going to just throw some money at this and put on some shows. They have no idea what they're doing. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not lumping say somebody like Tony Khan in with people like that, but He's almost like the ultimate example of that with somebody on a huge scale who's a billionaire, who's on television, and he is essentially a fan promoter. But that's like the phenomenon that you see all through the independent scene today. Well, and, and a guy like Tony that's got his operation, he he is. And, you know, I, I wish him all the luck in the world. But, you know, starting a promotion off at the way that he has and has built it is uh is a good thing for him but you you hit the uh uh key phrases uh, he's a multi-millionaire billionaire or whatever so when you've got that money uh the sky's the limit um the problem that i see with guys that have that mentality in the business um they tend to listen to people who one have been in the business long enough and have been soured by it that they think I'm going to get even now I'm going to come back and I'm going to pick this guy's pockets because he doesn't know any difference. And that's why you got to be careful about who you bring into that inner circle. Uh, I've seen that Uh, Billy Corrigan is another fine individual that I've had the opportunity to talk with uh, several times uh, when he's been into St. Louis with the the, uh, NWA uh, what he's been trying to do with that. I get uh, chastised sometimes because people will say, well, why why doesn't wrestling at the chase come back? Why don't the end it? Well, the people who made wrestling at the chase in St. Louis, the, the number one program forever from 1959 to 1983, aren't with us. M- most of them aren't here. Dick is not here. Johnny Valentine, Edward Carpentier, you know, the, uh, the list goes on and on. And the ones that are still with us are, are uh, not able to get in there and do what they used to do to entertain us. Uh, so, um, but, uh, you know, Billy's another one, knows a ton and ton about music. Can't take that away from him, uh, uh, Billy. I mean, uh, but um, wrestling, sometimes I think uh, these guys listen to the wrong people. And, and I'll be the first to say, I, I may not know everything about it, but I know dang well pretty much about it uh, after all these years. I, I think your track record proves that. And, and again, I'm not saying because Billy Corgan and Tony Khan are both great examples, but I'm not saying that, you know, because I, I enjoy both of their products, various I, aspects yes. of it, but they are like the most high profile examples of those fan type promoters. And I think what happens, though, with fan promoters, promoters who are fans, first and foremost, is they tend to be a little more susceptible to, like you're saying, influence maybe from some of the wrestlers there's not as much of that separation of authority where you have a promoter who's a promoter and the wrestlers respect that guy or girl and say okay uh you know they're there this is the person in charge this is not somebody that i'm going to try and work or manipulate or get in their ear or whatever <clears throat> there's a line there that i think is not always there if you have a promoter that the wrestlers know is a fan or to use a derogatory term, a mark. Right. Well, and, and, and 
I, I've told some people this before, um, and I'm going to use Vince McMahon as an example. We all know what Vince is. You've had the opportunity to work for him. Uh, and, and because I'm an old man myself, I, I can tell my secrets because I don't care. Uh, he has most all the libraries out there of the old territories. He's purchased them. You know, you name it. He's probably got it all except for St. Louis. Uh, Larry did not make the deal with him in St. Louis. And now I have that library. Um, so, but he, he's got the biggest gym out there. If you're wanting to gather the de demographics of the young and the old, and we do that on our little TV show that we do every Sunday night, we mix that old flavor in with the current flavor. And it works because I just, I show them at every show we do. I have aired the audiences there from the small children all the way up to the 70, 80, 90 year old people showing up because they can sit back and on a Sunday night, they can watch two of the local guys that are maybe been doing it for a few years. Uh, but then the next match is the Dick to Bruiser against Ric Flair or it's Bruiser Brody against Dory Funk Jr. All in the same show. So it's kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. That's what grandma and grandpa used to talk about. Man, now I'm looking at uh, wrestler A and B, who maybe has been doing it four or five years. Maybe they're just starting out. Um, Cowboy Bob Orton runs my Ace Wrestling Academy for me. It's turning out great talent for the future. And that's what it's all about. Somebody's got to carry the tradition on. But they got to get that start somewhere. The odds of them going to the AEWs and the NWAs and the WWEs is slim. We all know that. But they're with SICW being trained by Cowboy Bob Orton Jr., who, in my opinion, is one of the greatest of all times. His son, look at Randy. You know, I had Parton give him his first match 22 years ago. Uh, I razz Bob all the time and say, hey, tell him to send me a check, will you? Uh, <laughs> but I love Randy. But, you know, if you mix them old tapes in with the new tapes and one day Vince is going to wake up and say, hey, now I know he's got his 24 seven channel. But I'm talking about if you take Monday Night Raw or Thursday night, whatever he's got or Friday night, whatever those I don't even watch it, but uh, I, I get to hear the, the names of them. But if you're watching two guys he's using now and then all of a sudden, boy, here, even if he had something from the 80s and the 90s that he put in there it would send a memory to the fans to say, man, I remember when that took place. Or I remember when my grandpa told me he watched the Iron Sheik and Sergeant Slaughter uh, fight. Stop and think about what that would do on a Monday night or Tuesday night or whatever. Yeah, so when he, yeah. when he does that, make sure I get credit for it. <laughs> well, I even when, when I worked there and I was a tiny little cog in the machine, I used to push for that too, for more classic content and incorporating it. And, and the reason I would always give would be you have older fans that don't, they just don't watch wrestling anymore. They've lapsed. They like what they used to like. And, and, and that stuff should be, you know, that's a way to kind of hook some of those older people in. Sure. But, and, and this was at a time when I was saying it where they didn't even own all those libraries yet. This is like, no. 20 plus years ago and it was yeah. a lot worse back then i will say at least now they have the network where they do have a lot of that footage available for people to see and it's great and they put out dvd collections and things in the past but it and it's great it's better than it was but it still feels very compartmentalized uh you know it's it's sort of like ghettoized like like it's hard to even <clears throat> sometimes find 
on the on the network unless you know what you're looking for on Peacock. Um, I do wish they would make more of an effort to really incorporate it in their current product. Like you yeah, said, because you got a captive audience there. Yes. Air you classic know. matches within the show. And not only that, but when you have these hours to fill, like they have all these big TV deals like Fox and USA Network, and they're constantly under pressure to always be putting out brand new product all the time year round. How about if you give your guys a week off every now and then and do a classic show or a tribute show? And, you know, you find the stuff that's going to have the most appeal. I'm not saying you air kind of obscure, musty old stuff that that most people aren't going to want to see. There are ways to do it in a way, you know, do a show that's a tribute to um, John Cena. Even he's been around so damn long at this point. He has stuff that's 20 plus years old. Right. He's a right. legend. Do a tri- You know, re- you got Roman Reigns, who's their biggest star now. Do a show that's a tribute to the Samoan wrestlers. You could put the Wild Samoans, High Chief Peter Maivia, all those guys on there. Um, there are angles and ways to do it that they're just not doing. I remember even when the pandemic hit and they got stuck in being in this horrible position of having to air wrestling in front of no audiences and it coming across so badly. What about taking advantage of that moment to say, we have this vast library of classic content. We're going to air some classic shows. We're going to air some stuff that our fans remember from when they were kids. I mean, it's right there in front of you to do. Maybe with Triple H running things now, it might that might be done a little more. Who knows? Because he he was a fan. And you know why they didn't do it, Brian? Why? (laughs) Because when you have the money, you don't care. Right. Yeah. You lose, you lose, con- you lose concern for the fan, you know, um, and, and that's that's there's that's the only explanation why. I mean, the, with the coin phrase of "shut up and wrestle," you cut out some of them interviews and throw in, even if it's a five, six, seven minute clip of uh, Roddy Piper and Bob Orton taking on so and so. I'm telling you. That word would spread like wildfire. I guarantee it. If they put that on a Monday Night Raw in the body of that show, social media, first thing's going to happen, it's going to go wild. It's going to blow up and say, man, did you see there on Monday Night Raw? It came on and there was uh, Roddy Piper and uh, so-and-so. And then all of a sudden, it self-builds itself then. Right. But he, I, I think Vince is just sleeping. I think that's what's happening. Maybe Triple H will... will uh, We'll think about that. If he does, then you can they can say they heard it on Brian's show from Herb Simmons. Well, I know from being I know from being around him even that you know he grew up as a fan. He's got a very good, I would not call him a fan promoter. He has a very good head on his shoulders. He really is yes. very smart about the business. He's very shrewd. He's he's fair. I think he's probably more fair as a as a promoter now than he was when he was an active wrestler when sure. he didn't he didn't have skin in the game. He doesn't have skin in the game anymore, but he he's very uh savvy to the history of the business and more willing to he understands the appeal i think maybe more than vince did because i remember even having conversations with vince it's it's when you talk to somebody that's that that is that close to it that grew up with it with your dad as a promoter and always being in the promotion game you sometimes lose sight of the perspective of a fan of what it's like to just love it and enjoy it well you start taking them for granted is what you right and you think, well, they're going to take anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, that's why their house shows that they used to do started 
attendance was down, but I'm telling you, he's got such a library built up that he could rebuild that entire fan base, even the new people. We see it now on our Sunday night show. Fans, uh, the moms and dads or grandma and grandpas, when I see them out, they'll say we had the grandkids over and we had your show come on Sunday night and Bruiser Brody was taking on two guys in a match and the kids sit there and well, who is that big guy with the wild hair and the furry boots and you you get them adapted to that and then all of a sudden you know this last Saturday night the young kids up at the ring cheering and we had a steel cage man cheering Haku and the Barbarian on the faces of fear they yeah. don't know no more who the faces of fear was than the man in the moon but they got to see these two big monsters taking on the devastation the new devastation incorporated Sheik prater and my champion attila khan in a cage match and when i say a steel cage match it's not a cyclone fence it's a steel cage match uh so right away, those kids start thinking, oh, my gosh, this is great. And they're asking mom and dad and they'd say, oh, that's what grandma and grandpa used to take us to. They can't tell me it can't be done. That's so true, because I even I, I've shown my kids, of course, if you're my kid, then then you're kind of stuck with it. <laughs> I have three my kids. Kid. I have a, I have a little kid and I have two that are that are adult and I raised them watching a lot of wrestling obviously but but a lot of classic wrestling too in addition to what's current and so because of that when they were kids and my youngest now they don't have even have a concept of these wrestlers are from the past these wrestlers are from today to them they're just wrestlers like i remember my um my son who's five you know he went through a phase where he was obsessed with hulk hogan you know just like a, a little kid from the 80s you know and he loved hogan and and every and the whole superhero act and then something happened where somewhere where i think hogan was on tv like but currently and he his whole mind was i you know blown like he couldn't understand like he said why why does he look so old i don't understand i'm sorry hulk if you're listening and i had to i had to sort of explain the concept well the stuff i'm showing you is from a long time ago that's not what he's like today and i don't know if he fully understood but when you when you raise kids with classic wrestling they're surprisingly open to it as well oh yeah i, I think it's just a boat that's sailing down and uh, that nobody's got on it yeah and i think they probably have talked about it it's just nobody wants to pull the plug except for herb simmons and <laughs> and and i and i just recently acquired the uh library of uh, dick the bruiser uh so i mean i've got you know several uh more episodes of that that's going to be coming out eventually uh that's uh, it's still on the tv uh original films and uh so um and like i said if i'm uh decide to stay on and keep going that's one of our projects but uh if not somebody i hope will pick up that uh that charge and uh, and do something with those ideas because uh, that's how much i believe in it i believe it would work there's still a lot of wrestling fans out there i don't care what people say about it uh kfa all this yeah they want to come and i tell people for two, two and a half hours, I'm going to take you behind the curtain. I'm going to, I'm going to take you into a world of, of places that you haven't been. Now you're going to come back. You got to worry about the price of gas and bread and milk and all this. But for two, two and a half hours, you ain't going to have to worry about that because I've got a locker room that's going to uh, just mesmerize you. And they do. 
it, it and it's such a an, an easy formula if you know what you're doing. Like you said, people want to believe. They want to get into it. They want to invest. There, there's a whole audience that's open to things like that. I think. But well, I, and, and Sam used to call them uh, closet fans. Right. Yes. Uh, and and the. The, the way I described that, the way he had described it, I was with him several times and we'd be somewhere uh, at a restaurant and somebody would get up and come over and say, hey, Sam, are you still promoting that darn stuff that uh, those guys act like they're in there uh, beating each other up? And is that Bulldog Bob Brown, when he comes out and gets announced, does he still cover his ears up and all that stuff? And Sam would just sit there and keep eating. And yeah, yeah. And he'd walk away and Sam would say closet fan because you'd have to know bulldog bob brown was covering his ears up to be to know that you'd have to be watching so but he loved every one of them and he always said without the fans there is no sam there is no st louis wrestling club and uh nwa and and he's right and that's the same way with uh what i do Uh, without those fans coming and paying their hard-earned money to buy that uh 10 or 12 dollar ticket whatever it is uh there is no wrestling you know um so I, I, I love each and every one of them. And um, I try to stand at the door at each show as they're leaving, thanking them, asking them what they think. And it's really a pleasure when the fans will say, you know, uh, Mr. Simmons, just when we thought we had it figured out, you pull a rabbit out of that. And that's when you know you're doing something right. And I, I want to uh, talk a little more about those early days, too, with with Sam, because um You've been doing this so long now that the you know when you started, they they weren't really using the word independent wrestling a lot. It really wasn't. I hate it. I hate the word independent, even though I have to say it every now and then. But I and I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, no, no. And I tell these workers because you know in Illinois there is no commission. So a real brief story there. In order years back in the day in order to be a licensed promoter, you had to be a resident of the state of Illinois. And at one time for several years, I was the only person in the state of Illinois that held a valid promoter's license. So even then on your license, it didn't say independent. It said professional wrestler, the state of Missouri, you get a license. It says professional wrestler. When I hear these young men and women out there say, yeah, we're doing independent business. No, you're doing wrestling. Don't you don't make it sound like you're, you know, the backyard. If you want to be the backyard, call it the backyard. But I don't like that either. Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. You. No, no, no. I, because I've talked to other promoters, too, that have said the same thing. David Marquez, that's a big bone that he always picks that that he hates that that word independent, that he's just a, he's a wrestling promoter. He's a TV producer, you know. But um, but in those days, too, uh, sometimes a term that would be used would be outlaw, especially in the NWA days. Now, th- were you ever looked at that way? Like, the, what was the relationship promotionally between you and the St. Louis Wrestling Club? Was there any kind of a of an agreement or a cooperative or anything like that? No, no, I I, I knew never to cross the, <laughs> the godfather, as I called Sam. <laughs> uh, and, and with my my bridge, there was Larry. You know, as I said, Larry started with Sam when he was 16 years old, uh, didn't even have a driver's license. And um, I got I got tapes and videos of Sam when he used to come to my shows that I did, um, you know, 
was sitting in the front row with some of his friends, Steve Miserini uh, from the uh, St. Louis, the decent boys uh, uh, appliance stores. And um, I, I was respected by Sam because one, I knew where I could go. I knew what I could do with his blessing. Uh, the only promoter that I ever had issues with at first was Dick DeBruiser. Uh, and that's when, because he was running the Southern Illinois area out of Indianapolis area. And uh, he kind of took offense to me uh, starting to operate. But, you know, I called to try to work with him. We had a few harsh words back and forth. Um, and I even made the trip to Indianapolis to one of his shows. My booker and I went up there drove up there in my 1977 Lincoln Continental and um, got treated like we were kids at a candy shop because I guess it was one of those, well, we'll see how long they'll wait around. And we waited for a little bit and then we said, no, we're leaving. And by the time we got to the front door, there was the two biggest Samoan guys that I've ever seen in my life said, the boss wants to see you downstairs. And I thought, oh boy, <laughs> downstairs, Indianapolis. I don't know if I like this idea or not, but uh, but we went down and uh, Dick wanted to make me a deal. And he says, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do business together. We'll do a 90-10 split. And this is what we'll do. And I I just told him, I said, Dick, I don't need 90%. No, you don't. No, no, you don't know. That, that's not what I mean. I said, wait a minute. I said, I'm, I've got, well, I got this and I got that. I said, well, I got Frank Goodish, Bruiser Brody, uh, Greg Valentine. Uh, you know, I had all those guys working. Then I had the guys out of uh, the Memphis, Nashville area, Tojo, uh, Yamamoto, uh, Gypsy Joe, Frank Morrell. Uh, those guys were coming in for me. I had a little, Lord Little Brook was coming in with uh, Little Tokyo and Cowboy Lang uh, with the uh, back then we, you know, we could call them uh, the midgets. Nowadays, you got to be politically correct. Uh, but, uh, if, if Roger Littlebrook was still with us, he, he'd say, no, I'm a midget. Don't mm -hmm. call me anything but a midget, you know? So, but, uh, so I had those guys that we were working in. And then of course, at that time, what I was wanting from Dick was, I was wanting to use his son-in-law at that time, which was Spike Huber. And, um, you know, a little while after that, uh, Spike and, uh, Dick's daughter, uh, split up and then Spike did come to work for me and, uh, Dick tried to blackball Spike in the business and nobody would work him, but Larry and I, and to this day, Spike will tell you that. And, uh, in fact, he, him and, uh, Dick's daughter are back together. Michelle have been, and they're the ones that helped border the deal on the uh, tapes that I got from Mrs. Aphelis. Uh, the, the, they actually, Spike drove to Florida and picked them up and brought them back. And, and I went and picked them up from him. But, um, so, you know, uh, he's the only one I had problems with. Um, but again, I knew my my territory, Missouri. We used to run everything from the boot hills of Missouri up to the Indiana border, all of southern Illinois. Um, I haven't been the one to want to go anyplace else. I mean, this is my foundation. This is where uh, and that's what Sam said. You know, everybody was under this conception that Sam had his big territory. He had St. Louis. And he right. made it. He made it happy. You know, Kansas City was separate. You know, that was the Bob Geigel and Harley Race and uh, Pat O'Connor. And, um, you know, and, and Sam would venture maybe a little bit through them up into the Des Moines, Iowa area and St. Joe, Missouri. But Sam's Sam's uh, territory was primarily just St. Louis. And he so 
outside of doing the keel and doing the chase show, were there other events that he promoted or spot yeah, shows he, and things? He, he would run uh, probably once, twice, maybe three times a year at the St. Louis Checker Dome, which was the big uh, arena where, you know, it'd seat 22,000 people. You know, the keel would seat 12,800. Uh, and, and that's what I used to say years ago when, oh, Vince is selling out this. And Sam Muchnick used to sell out the Keel Auditorium on a regular basis. Uh, you know, um, but again, you know, it's like uh, Vince has made movie stars. Well, I hate to tell him, Terry Funk was in Paradise Alley. And you know, he was, you know, was Patrick Swayze. <laughs> yeah. So there were movie stars and wrestlers being made long before Vince McMahon came along. Yes. Glad and- he did. And not only that, but it was such a different model where you had to draw in the same place sure. repeatedly. Yeah. That's very difficult to do. Uh, you know, it's it's different than what they yeah. do now where, you know, the way it is now, it's like Ringling Brothers where they go from yeah. city to city around. They come to your town I, I, a couple of times a year. I call them a band of gypsies. Uh, yeah. they, they run in, they kill a town. And then when a good <laughs> promoter comes in and wants to try to do something, people are going, oh, wait a minute. We had wrestling here and they. And that's right. what I still am faced with to this day, which, and again, uh, I'm, I don't want to bash, I mean, I'll bash them if they want to call and have a one-on-one with me. I'll tell them what they're doing wrong because it's not good for the business. It's not good for the workers. Um, you True. Know, guys, guys are out there working for little or nothing because you can't, I don't care who you are. If you're drawing 30, 40, 50 people, hundred people, even if you're paying the guys anything, yeah, you're not making any money. By the time you pay the rent on a building, and I'd be willing to bet that half of them, if not all of them, don't have the insurance that they need, uh, which, sure. which is another big issue. But uh, but again, they all do their own thing. It's all on them. Uh, the chips fall where they may. But uh, but you know, to answer your question, you know, Sam would do other spot shows every now and then within that Missouri area. He was big on charitable events. They always did one uh, at Heine Miney Park. Uh, 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 baseball field, and uh, each year he would bring in. Uh, I remember the one particularly brought in David Von Erich and Carrie Von Erich, and they'd play a, a baseball game with the wrestlers. And uh, but he was really big on doing that kind of stuff. Um, but um, you know, uh, but I knew I knew my area. Like I said, I'd run up in Springfield, Illinois. That's where it was one of Dick's uh, hotbeds, and. Um, he he really got mad there because I went in and I bought TV ads and uh, they actually put my commercials within the body of his TV show. And uh, wow. he didn't, he didn't take a liking to that. And, uh, but, but, you know, we do our TV now the same way Sam did it back then. We will have a show on October 15th. And then on the 16th uh, Sunday, I hold the boys over and we tape four one hour shows. And then those are showed over the next four weeks on our, our TV and social media uh, platforms leading back up to our house show. And that's what Sam did. And, uh, you know, that, that wrestling at the chase program started on TV in 1959. And it was him and the owner of the TV, uh, Harold Coppler, uh, made that arrangement on an airplane ride. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, it ran that long. Uh, the only thing that outdrew them was the basketball team, the Cardinals and the evening news, uh, anything else, wrestling had the top bill and he used to take off part of the year too didn't he like that's what i was going to tell you earlier yeah Yeah. he would and what he would do is he would showcase some of the talent 
or those, you know, he would do what you were talking about a little while ago. He would take that summer break and bring tapes in from other places and show them um, and kind of give the boys off. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys out there and Ric Flair is one of them. He'll tell the story that if it wasn't for Larry Matasek, he wouldn't ever got to St. Louis. Larry was fortunate to get a tape of uh, Rick uh, from Crockett's and was in this guy was there the day he was in the uh, control room watching it and larry right away said oh man this this guy's got some potential and pat o'connor happened to walk in and o'connor said nah, he's too small to never draw a dime and and thank goodness for larry's uh, uh forethought he got on the phone called sam at the office and said hey can you come down to the studio he said i want you to see something about 30 minutes later sam showed up and he walked in and he looked at about five six minutes of that tape and told larry to get on the phone with crockett tell him i want him in here and rick has told that story before if it wouldn't have been for larry he wouldn't have been to st louis yeah and, and he wound up becoming one of the biggest draws that they ever had there you know oh, probably you know him and bruiser brody three one-hour matches i mean sold out arenas and keel auditorium some of the greatest matches ever happened right there, you know, and, and just not them. I mean, Dick the Bruiser, you know, uh, top, top name in St. Louis. You know, if you'd walk down to this day, if you walk down the streets of St. Louis and say, who's the most dangerous wrestler and, and uh, ever been, they're going to tell you Dick the Bruiser. Uh, but, you know, so many of them, the Funks, the Briscoes, uh, Johnny Valentine, uh, Red Bastine, uh, Luthez, you know, one of the things that I'll never forget when Lou passed away, Lou never wrestled for me, but he did special guest referees for me. Uh, right. when he passed away, his wife asked Larry and I to sprinkle some of his ashes at the Keel auditorium, uh, stage door that they used to go in out of and at the arena and then at his house on Virginia, uh, in Missouri. And, uh, that was an honor to be asked to take part in that. Uh, the other highlight of one of my nights was Larry and I, and we just told this story last Saturday night because Anoki had passed away uh, Saturday and back in nine, I estimated around 85, 86, they were doing an angle with Brody and Anoki and Lou was going to be a part of that. And we had to show at the same building we were at this last Saturday night in Belleville, Illinois, where I was running back then. And we got to sit in there for three hours that Saturday afternoon before our show that night and watch Bruiser Brody and Luthez roll around in that ring. And they're just Larry and I, and there was a couple of uh, photographers from Japan there taking photos because this was going to be a big show over there. And I'll never forget after Lou got done, he took a folding chair, leaned it up against the wall and did 180 push-ups off of it after being in the ring with Brody for three hours. And he went back to dress out and Larry asked Brody, he said, man, how was it in there with the old timer? He was standing there taking the tape off his wrist. He said, well, I'm going to tell you one thing. When he gets a hold of that wrist, it's not uh, where you're, uh, if you're going, it's where you're going. And, uh, it was a lesson that Frank never forgot, but just to sit there and watch them too, the reversals, takedowns and, oh my gosh, Lou was such a master, you know? Yeah, of course. And, and th that's really interesting to me because for two reasons, I mean, there, I I've seen a couple of pictures over the years. Uh, there's a locker room photo of Thez and Brody talking 
And I never, and I'm assuming it might have been connected to that because that I always it. thought, I, I know a lot of people who have seen that picture, they don't know what the context is because right. you think Luthez, Bruiser Brody, both That's legends, right. but didn't seem to have much in common. What would they be doing together? Yeah. And there's one out there floating. In fact, I got one of them. It's them in the ring, actually. Uh, wow. Uh, in a hold uh, that uh, Lou was showing uh, Frank how to reverse out of it. And it's re- it's a real close up. One of the photographers taking it right from right at the ring apron. And there they are, right, with the white mat that we had on the ring that we used back then. And uh, so, you know, it's memories like that that uh, just will live on forever and ever. And, uh, I, I tell my wife, I hope I, I never get that dreaded disease, dementia or Alzheimer's because I've got so many of those types of memories in there that, that I just sit back. I mean, where some guys nowadays will pull out a tape and watch some of this current stuff, uh, or even back 10 years ago, I'll reach back and pull out a tape from 1960 or 70. And I can just sit there and and watch it uh, over and over, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this can relate to that as well. Uh, it, it really is. Um, it, it's, it's different. And, and if I ever have my choice, it's always going to be, even though I still follow wrestling, it's always going to be to watch the older stuff. Well, and, and I don't, I don't have anything. I don't say anything against anybody who watches the modern day stuff, the current stuff, because that's their choice. I'm happy for them. I'm happy it's out there for them. It's just your individual preference. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I, I want to hear, I want to see the story being told. I want to, like I said, when you can have fans that text you and call you and say, man, oh man, we thought this was going to happen. And we thought so-and-so was going to, gonna lose and then all of a sudden that tells me you're you, you got them you got them hooked on it and it's all fun you know society has always been and probably will be on good versus evil and all of this flopping around and uh these two three minute high spots for a, a 10 second pop of the crowd I want to drag it out. I, I I want them to want more. I want them to be sitting on the edge of that seat, or I want them to be standing up like they were last weekend, uh, you know, just screaming and and hollering, you know, um, that they they want more. And and I think that's when you can say that the show was a success. Um, and of course, our shows are done for a lot of nonprofit organizations, uh, fire, police, uh, uh, EMS, uh, civic organizations to help them raise funds. And uh, it's been that way forever. Uh, we like to give back to the communities, and that's what we've been doing all these years. Uh, so, uh, and we don't go around to the local uh, halls and say, hey, can we rent your hall? We want to do a wrestling show here. These are organizations that call us and say, hey, will you help us raise funds? So to me, I think that says credibility about SICW also. And again, I'm not bragging. It's just something that we built over all those years that that we take pride in doing. And also, and that reminds me too, before before we say goodbye, I would like like it if you could let people know the best way to find SICW, especially if they're not in the area. Where can they find out about it? Uh, the best way, you know, on social media, they tell me, you know, a few years back, I didn't know what social media was. And now they tell me I'm a guru on it because I'm posting something every night, usually after my day job uh, of upcoming shows. Uh, but SICW.org uh, 
uh, is one way, uh, SICW explosion. If you want to go on and see all the tapes of the, that we've put on there, uh, they're on YouTube, um, uh, on, on social media under Herb Simmons. Um, as long as you're not one of the hackers out there, I, I'll, 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 I'll accept your friendship and, uh, and then we can, we can become friends and, and you'll see, um, like I said, I, I try to stay very active on it. And I always said until uh, Facebook starts charging, I'll probably continue to use it. But it's a good way to get the, uh, get your word out there and uh, let people know, uh, you know, like the month of September, we had five shows that we did. Now, to some people, that don't seem like a lot. But when you're trying to coordinate five shows plus TV, it's it uh, to be kind of hectic, as you know, from being in it. Uh but, but, you know, my, I got the greatest locker room ever. Uh, I've got guys in my locker room been with me for 30 plus years and they're still wrestling. Uh, so I think that speaks a lot about quality. Um, my champion now, uh, a telecon trained by Harley race. Um, you know, people like that superstar, Steve Fender trained by Harley race. And these guys are still out there giving it 110%. And you, you want to see, uh, and, and God rest his soul, Harley, greatest of all times. You can see the mold did not break here because these guys uh, methodically in that ring, just like Harley was. And um, when they lay it in, they lay it in there. And, but, you know, and I, I think what we bring to the table, Brian, is the, the legends that I, I still think so much of what they've done. And you got to remember, these guys, it, it was a tough life for them. They didn't have 401ks. They didn't have insurance. They were traveling two, 300 miles a, uh, in between shows, uh, carpooling. They wasn't jumping on airplanes, flying to the next town. So that's why I've always said when I can talk to a Stan Hansen or uh, whoever these guys I still stay in touch with on a regular basis and hear their stories. And uh, it was a rough life for them. And uh, so if I can help make their retirement days a little bit easier by bringing them in to sign autographs or just to meet the fans, that's what I'm going to do, because we all if we're a fan, it's like I tell everybody, if you if you're a worker a referee or a promoter or a ring announcer or even the ring crew. And you don't belong to the cauliflower alley. Shame on you because it's kind of like a supplemental insurance policy because there's going to come a time in your career. If you stay in it, that you're going to fall on hard times. And I've seen that organization help so many people, Brian Blair, one of the most compassionate men I've ever met as a CEO uh, uh, and president of that organization, uh, Darla Staggs, good friend of ours on that, uh, uh, board now with Rich Angling, uh, uh, Ron Hutchinson, people like that. Uh, they are compassionate about that. So if, if you're out there, and I, and I hope you don't mind me promoting the CAC, no, not at all. It is it is a for twenty five dollars a year or three hundred dollars lifetime membership. If you're a worker, there's you you can't I, you can't give me a reason why you don't belong to it. Because you're going to be one day, somebody's going to say, hey, I need some help uh, with my mortgage or a hospital bill or something. And I've seen them write the checks to help these people out. That's terrific. And, and again, another reason why people should support the CAC and support what they do and keep them going, keep them relevant. It's something that's great for young wrestlers to be acquainted with, not just the old timers, you know, so there's an awareness that it's there. I encourage people to check it out. And also I encourage people to check out 
SICW. And um, I'm very grateful, Herb, that you made the time to even do this today. I know you're supremely busy with with the day job, the real life stuff, and the wrestling stuff. So thank you so much. Well, Brian, I appreciate the invite. Anytime I can uh, fill your time for you. As you can see, I have no trouble talking about the the passion. Uh, and I know you share that same passion uh, or you wouldn't be doing uh, everything that you've done. It was uh, my honor to meet you a couple of years ago at Cauliflower Alley. And uh, I'm sorry I didn't get to talk with you this last year, but uh, it seemed like every time I was making it way towards you, somebody had you or somebody had me. And right. But I knew we would catch up. And we did. And that's another reason why I wanted to do this right afterwards so that we would get to catch up and talk. So this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. There you have it, folks. My conversation with the wonderful and amazing Herb Simmons. And let me tell you, it's not often that you get to talk to somebody like that. Somebody, you know, a wrestling promoter in 2022 working whose experience uh, goes back to really not just the territory days, but the height of the territory days, you know, promoting wrestling at a time when Sam Muchnick was the president of the National Wrestling Alliance. You know, Dick the Bruiser was going to war uh, in Michigan with the Sheik and things like that going on. That is the environment in which Herb, uh, Mr. Simmons, started promoting. So that was truly an honor to do this week. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And I want to say, you know, uh, next week is a cool one because it's going to be episode number 40 of Shut Up and Wrestle. I'm doing something a little fun for this episode next week. Um, Somebody that I talk to on a regular basis as part of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast, my co-host on there, Al Castle, is going to be my guest next week for the 40th episode of Shut Up and Wrestle. Uh, he is also, of course, a senior writer on PWI and uh, the uh, the other uh, Kappa magazines when they existed. Uh, he's been doing that now for, gosh, something like 15 years. So uh, we always have fun talking. We have a great rapport, and we're hoping to continue that right here in Shut Up and Wrestle for next week's episode. So I hope you like that. Keep listening. Uh, We've got more people lined up in the weeks to come. I've got, as I've mentioned, Vandal Drummond, a.k.a. Kurt Brown of the 605 Super Podcast Universe. He'll be coming on. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I've got Chris Goff, the longtime promoter and creative writer for WWE, who I worked with uh, years ago. He is going to be my guest coming up. And I'm also lining up uh, currently an interview with uh, Pam Morrison, who some of you may know as the daughter of J.J. Dillon, whom I've gotten to know through various uh, wrestling functions and events over the years. And she's agreed to be a guest on the show. Uh, Those and others coming in the weeks to come on Shut Up and Wrestle. Make sure you you listen to it wherever you can. Of course, we have our website, suawpod.com. And you can also find Shut Up and Wrestle wherever you find your favorite podcasts. What you can also find where you find all your favorite podcasts is the Wrestling News, Arcadian Vanguard's latest project. We've been doing it since August now. It's been a big hit. It's a daily morning um, audio news update 
Uh, it's usually about 10 to 15 minutes long. Perfect way to start your day with all the news that you need for the day to really just be a complete know-it-all about the current scene of professional wrestling. So give it a listen. Um, if you're looking for my current book, Blood and Fire, the biography of the Sheik, as I mentioned, uh, the print, digital, and audio copies are still available on Amazon.com. And I have a couple of signed copies available as well if you want a personally autographed copy of blood and fire reach out to me at my email address brian r solomon at yahoo.com um, i am also available on twitter and instagram at brian r solomon you can get at me that way if you uh please and um on any of those social media platforms you will find a link to my author web page you can get to me that way i also have a facebook page uh, two Facebook pages. I have one for Shut Up and Wrestle, which I'd love it if you would join, uh, called Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. We share lots of juicy tidbits about the show every single day on that Facebook page. And there's also my personal author page on Facebook, Brian Solomon Writer. You can find me there. And I also want to say that next week um, I'll be sharing my selections, my ballot selections for the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, which I was honored once again to be asked to vote in and participate in. Um, I'll be sharing that at the top of the show in next week's episode. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been... Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you of the words of the great Eli Whitney who once said, get your stinking hands off my gym. So long, wrestling fans. I need your dick.